0: Today's program, I just wanted to mention a little bit, we're we're trying something a little new in that um, we're going to introduce and explore a sampling of what is referred to in some spiritual communities or philosophies as either the wisdom or the ancient wisdom or the perennial wisdom or perennial philosophy. And many of the members of the IFGT community are familiar with this. And so we've collectively decided in the organization to put some of our effort into sharing this information with audiences such as this one and those who will find this program in the future on YouTube. And we're doing this because it is consistent with our mission and vision, which I just read, but but as a reminder, part of what I said was that we are intending to use the wisdom of higher consciousness to benefit humanity and the planet. And we certainly would include this ancient wisdom in the definition of the wisdom referred to. So it's consistent with our work um, and it's exciting to, to reach kind of into this more and share this. So tonight's program is one of the initial ways that IFGT is is venturing into exploring the wisdom with a broader audience and sharing it. And to help us do that, I'm delighted to introduce our guest today, who is Doug Scott. Uh, Doug is a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm going to read his bio so people have a little better idea of what uh, Doug's background is and who he is. But I just wanted to mention that I first ran into Doug when he was interviewed on another program Buddha at the gas pump by their host Rick Archer. And Doug, I think that's that was one of two interviews I know you've done uh, with Rick now. And I think the first one was about two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, as you all will see soon, Doug just has this very warm and easily digested manner of speaking about a lot of spiritual topics, including the wisdom and the or the perennial philosophy and so um I reached out to him uh several weeks ago and have just uh, enjoyed interacting with you directly more and very very grateful and honored that you accepted our invitation to to join us tonight and kind of help us launch this uh, at least in this format so um let me read a, a brief bio and then um Doug is prepared a presentation just to get us started off with kind of help frame the the discussion, provide some definitions. And then um, during that audience, you're welcome to ask questions during. We're not going to try to um, hold those off. So it is a conversation. And as you'll see, Doug and I are pretty easygoing guys. So if you if we end up straying from the slides, I think that'll be fine. We just kind of want to see where this conversation goes. So with that, um, Doug Scott is a licensed clinical social worker, and he works as a mental health counselor in his practice in Dallas, Texas. After he graduated from college in 1997, he served as an international volunteer for two years in Bluefields, Nicaragua. This intense experience changed his life and he returned to the U.S. to pursue graduate studies in clinical social work and pastoral ministry at Boston College. The nexus of spirituality and psychology have always intrigued Doug since childhood. He grew up Catholic and was always drawn to the mystical lineage within this belief system. He had several mystical experiences experiences with Jesus, Mary, and angels at an early age, and was also secretly attracted to all things paranormal. And one evening in 2013, Doug felt a presence that invited him to listen to a Buddhist chant, which came as a surprise since he had not explored other faith, faith systems at that time. He was guided to listen to the Buddhist chant, and pardon me for butchering this, but, Om Mani Padni Hum. And as the chant unfolded, Doug saw a golden dew overshadow him and activate him in a way that was new. This marked the next chapter in Doug's life. And a few months later, Doug was then led to the law of one material and immediately saw that it provided the clearest, most undistorted exploration of the perennial philosophy that he'd ever run across. It also cast a wide net to include all of the paranormal things that intrigued him and made it possible for him to put all the different threads in his life together in one seamless garment. Since 2015, Doug has written a blog, which is found at cosmicchrist.net. And uh, we'll put that URL in the show notes on YouTube. And the blog explores the synthesis of the law of one material with mystical Christianity and psychology. He sees his vocation in this lifetime as a bridge builder between conventional concepts and cosmic metaphysics to help people who seek clarity, normalization and validation for their own journeys.
1: Hello everybody. Uh, what I hope to do is just give a maybe 15 minute overview of the perennial tradition as I'm currently inspired to see it. (laughs) Um, Everything is in process, and I am too. And my belief systems are always in process. In other words, I know more today than I knew yesterday, um, but a year from now, or tomorrow maybe, um, I will be hopefully uh, enjoying an even wider way to understand this perennial tradition. Um, And what I'm giving you today is kind of where it's like a snapshot of where I understand things as it is now. And this is going to include um, a lot of different presentations, and a lot of different sources. It will um, also, I hope, bridge some gaps between conventional ways to understand and esoteric ways. I won't be talking directly in this presentation, at least, about the law of one, which is very esoteric. Although, you know, we can get into that a little bit later if you'd like. Um, but what I'm saying here is the perennial tradition is ever ancient and ever new. And that it's, uh, it's a constant living tradition that um, can be found in the core of things in the past of human wisdom. And it can also be found now. And that's how I understand it. So I'm going to be giving a description Um, I'm going to give some distinctions about at least two views, two lenses, through which people look at the perennial tradition. And there's many different lenses, but I'd like to offer two as just kind of a a way to distinguish um, different lenses. And then I would like to uh, spend a little bit of time of what does it look like to embody the tradition. So I'm going to say right out front that in terms of my own way of understanding things, the perennial tradition or the wisdom tradition, uh, the ancient traditions, they're, for me, they're only good insofar as that I can live them out in the immediacy of my life, in the here and now. And so I'm bringing what I maybe be inspired by reading and watching videos, whatever, I'm bringing that, digesting it, and then incarnating it through my my life uh, and that was, that's the ultimate goal um, <clears throat> as far as I can see now these are going to be real basic but I can see that there perhaps are four fundamentals of what we mean when we hear about the perennial tradition <laughs> um, and these uh, these might be subject to being you disagree with and that's totally fine too But let me just offer them that there's first the world of matter, of individuated consciousness, and of expressions of energy. That is the world of things and animals and events and humans and even gods. All of this is the manifestation of a divine ground within which all partial realities have their being and apart from which they would not exist. And so here, I'd like to just briefly show uh, how it seems to be that the patterns in the micro are matching the patterns in the macro. And as I believe, I'll talk about a little bit later, that um, if it's true metaphysically, then it needs to be found somewhere in some way in the physical level and in the psychological level. Otherwise it's not true. Uh, a truth will transcend the different um, modes of being, if you will. So here we have a lung and we have a tree. Trees are the lungs of the earth and in the lungs are uh, the breathing apparatus of mammals. So there's an example of um, this perennial, this particular first principle Here we have uh, different spirals, all following the same pattern. And they range from uh, solar systems to storms, uh, to plants and and different, uh, even snail shells. And then on the right side of your screen, we have a brain cell, and then we have the universe. Do you see the different way to see that Uh, We've filaments and a nucleus in the brain cell image very much matches the nucleus and filaments and strands and flow of the universe. And then lastly, in similar kind of pattern, we'll see the inner planets as the sun being in the middle. And we have these different uh, planets rotating around, orbiting around. And this very much uh, is interesting and matches at least one model of the atom, where we have a nucleus made up of protons and neutrons. And then these different electrons are (coughs) orbiting or rotating and in dialogue and relationship with that nucleus. And so we see that the uh, hologram that is this part, it's at least the first principle of the perennial tradition, the holographic reality is made up of holons or fractals of that. A second fundamental, fundamental of the perennial tradition, human beings are capable not merely of knowing about the divine ground by inference. They can also realize its existence by a direct intuition superior to reasoning. This immediate Knowledge or gnosis unites the knower with that which is known. So I want to just highlight really quickly the word gnosis. Uh, It might be a new word for some of us, um, and it might be a familiar word for others. The word gnosis means knowledge gained through experience or a lived experiential reality. It's the difference between reading about something or reading someone else's firsthand experience. And then having that experience for yourself. Okay, so what we're saying here is one of the fun, the second fundamental of the perennial tradition, perennial tradition, is that human beings are not only able to learn about this divine ground, but also through the capacity of our intuition and imagination, imaginal skills. Uh, we can enter into and participate in the actual divine life of this divine ground. And that is unit of consciousness. Okay.
0: And Doug, by divine ground, is it correct to say that is one word that other people might use source or God or consciousness? Is that, is that?
1: Yeah, I think, thank you for bringing that up. Um, And by the way, I have, uh, shrunk all of the video. So if you, if someone is asking a question, I'm going to rely on you, Ken, to just interrupt me if you don't mind. Okay. Yeah. Um, divine ground is one word for what other people might say God. Um, some people might say reality itself. So these are all different words that are trying to capture the highest and greatest wholeness. In which all other expressions of wholeness fit into yeah Uh, okay so the third fundamental of the perennial tradition humans operate from a significant self which is like a sense of self which oscillates between two depths there's a floating self which is our false self and an anchored Self, which is the true self. It is possible for a person, if they so desire, to learn how to position their significant self within the depth of the anchored self, and therefore with the divine ground itself. Okay? So this would be a model that I just quickly thought up here, but if you can imagine an ocean on the bottom of that is a huge boulder you might even say it's a part of the ocean um that where the the, i'm sorry part of the the ground where the ground and the boulder meet there is no separation it's the boulder is an expression of the ground uh now imagine a little rope you could maybe a little chain or something and and it's connected to a floating Thing at the very surface of the ocean, and in the middle would be a third uh, node or energetic quanta or or a self. We're calling this the significant self, and the anchored self is the true self. That is who we really are at the deepest levels below any of the uh, identities or roles that we have it is the isness of you the beingness of us and then the floating self would be the self that's correlated to um maybe the egoic self or the image self something that has uh feels it's greatly important to be important or to be the worst thing there ever is there's usually a a a, a the poles of I'm the best thing it's ever been and I'm the worst thing, you know, and both of those aren't true. <laughs> but the floating self as the false self is the self that um, is constantly of- offended. It is the self that takes offense and it's the self that we feel like we have to defend. And most of us, I think, live in our floating selves most of the time, unless we're aware of it. And I think the perennial tradition is emerges in all of the different world religions and spiritualities to help us in some way identify these, this triune nature of the self, the, the anchored self and the floating self and then the significant self that makes sense and meaning between uh, who I really am And then what my ego wants me to be. Yeah. And so the more that we learn to surrender, the more that we learn to go deep inside our inner life, and and then also be invited into the inner lives of other people through solidarity. There's There's a line in the Psalms that says, deep calls unto deep. The depth inside me Uh, calls and reverberates in in sympathetic resonance with the depth inside you. Yeah. So that's the anchored self and the anchored self. And that um, significant self moves up and down, but we can learn to actually embody the anchored self more and more and live our lives from this place of depth and freedom from egoic needs. So that's the third fundamental of the perennial tradition. Uh, lastly, we have the fourth fundamental of the perennial tradition. And here I have a person's life on earth has only one end and purpose. That is to awaken into unitive of consciousness and then get busy participating in wholeness making in the immediacy of their life's situation with this body, within this environment, with this sense of vocation. Uh, and traditionally, maybe some of us have heard the so hum, Sanskrit mantra for I am that, or you are that. So the really the perennial tradition can be encompassed in that one phrase, you are that. But then one asks, well, what is that? (laughs) And that is not just the reality of all things, uh, the transcendent layer, the greatest and highest wholeness, but the that also is a verb. It's not just a noun or a substance, but it is something that becomes. So that's why I'm saying that in the fourth fundamental of the perennial tradition, it's not enough. Now, this is going against some of what other perennial traditions might say. So I am claiming um, this as a, an imperative thing, but I'm not saying I'm right. <laughs> so hear me saying, based upon my experience of uh, spiritual reading, um, my graduate work, and people that I really trust on the spiritual, psycho-spiritual path, uh, based on all these things, I'm, I'm coming down on the side of... It is not enough to just awaken and achieve, say, unit of consciousness. But once you have done that, once you know that you are God or you are the ground, that there is no fundamental ontological difference, once you know that at the gnosis level, then you got to get busy doing God. And what does God do? We are going to talk about that. But God wholeness makes, makes the wholeness that I am, I uh, surrender my life into the immediacy of the world around me and steward, create more opportunities for wholeness to complexify, right? So we're gonna get into a little bit of that. I think I might wanna mention one thing that I forgot based on what you just said. Um, The most important way I can understand this, and this is coming from personal experience, but also as a counselor for 22 years, is that the floating self belongs it's not a matter of getting rid of it in fact when we live in the anchored self more and more what we find is that we actually can use the floating self the image whatever you do in the world you know you, the, the 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 presentation the clothing of our lives we use it to actually do good in the world um it it And the anchored self is no longer about me. I know who I am. I'm just busy doing good. (laughs) And I'm using whatever means I have. But I don't make any mistakes of saying whatever successes or failures I have are me. On the other hand, the floating self uh, operates from a very, very rigid and narrow and fragile perspective. Its ethos is... Transcend and exclude. In other words, I'm better than you because I'm more spiritual now. You poor people, or you know, you normies, or whatever it is. And then there's an exclusion going on. So you know, the worst kind of ways to be is in, you know entrapped in the floating self is to believe that we are in our anchored self in the name of spirituality or higher vibes. Uh, it can be an entrapment when. We're not even aware of the distinctions that we create where we're holding somebody else uh, over there and I'm over here. We other other people. And so it's a transcending and excluding others. Um, The exact opposite is the case for the anchored self. It is include and transcend. Mm. And the last thing I'll say is that I think in English, if we don't change the meaning of the following two words, then we might as well stop using them because they're not getting us anywhere. And that is the word pure and the word perfect. Because the way that most of us understand the word pure is without blemish, uh, some kind of distilled uh, perfect, crystalline nature without any kind of cracks, say. That's that's pure. Um, that is not what I'm saying in any way that I understand the anchored self. The anchored self instead is wholeness. Wholeness is a different reality that actually incorporates what we think might be imperfections, but we actually honor them because they're the very thing that helps us when we go through them to, to include our perfections, our imperfections and thus transcend them. (laughs) You see? And so it's not uh, transcending my perfect, my imperfections. Like I used to be that way. And now I'm not, now I'm just going to exclude all that. That's a great way to actually end up, uh, entrapping ourselves more rather. It is including all of my shadow side. And you know what? Including yours too. And, uh, and then transcending that because there's spaciousness enough inside me to hold it all together. Yeah. Thank you for letting me clarify that and bringing that out in me.
2: Thanks, Doug.
1: Okay. Um, Now, I'd like to spend just a a minute or two, well, probably more like three, (laughs) um, in distinguishing between two... Lenses through which to look at the perennial tradition. And here's the reason why I want to bring it up. Number one, well, I just want to say again, I could be wrong about all of this. So um feel free to disagree. But one of the things that I'm seeing right now is we live in a postmodern world. Postmodern, postmodernity, if you're not aware, uh emerged beginning in the 60s and is really strong right now. post is not a bad thing. Its job is to critique the excesses of the traditional mindset and the modernity. You know, these, these two worldviews that the world passed in, at least the Western world, passed through for centuries. So the modernity emerged to critique the excesses of traditional and then Postmodernity emerged to critique the uh, modernity and the traditional value system. But the problem with post-modernity and why I believe we're seeing so many uh, chaotic things going on is because it, it is not geared to give people a sense of coherence or meaning or purpose. In fact, One of its tenets is to reject all um, hierarchies of truth, that all truth is relative, right? And so this, this causes what I believe to be the greatest ailment, the second greatest ailment that we have in humanity right now, especially in the West, particularly in the United States. And that is the crisis of meaning and its existential angst. It is us walking around saying, who am I? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> and then um, not being able to believe anybody or what anybody says, especially you know, larger organizations. Everything is held with a, a suspicion. Okay, <clears throat> what has emerged now are two things. One is a desire to move beyond post-modernity into something that gives us a sense of concrete meaning. Because the human, we need that. It's not a bad thing. It's important to have a a way to understand our reality. Okay. Uh, And what I'm finding is that a lot of people are actually emerging and looking at the perennial tradition from the lenses and viewpoint of what's called traditionalism. Now, that's different from traditional heritage values that modernity corrected. Traditionalism has its own set of belief systems and way to understand the perennial tradition. I'm going to juxtapose that to what I'm calling emerging holism. Now, emerging holism is my own words, but I'm trying to bring in uh, the metaphysics and understanding of different streams of what's called the transcendent universalism lens of the perennial tradition so i'm actually tweaking that the transcendent universalism and bringing it into a new kind of way to understand the perennial tradition which i'm calling emerging holism so traditionalism emphasizes a single metaphysic a single metaphysical origin of the orthodox religions all right and emerging holism emphasizes mystical experience of the eternal now So let's just take really quickly a look at the traditionalist school of thought to look at the perennial tradition. First, they operate we, uh, from a narrative of decline. What that means is everything is seen that in the past, or if we're going to glorify a past time period, and ever since then, humanity has been declining in its purity and declining from the original essence. We have thus distorted and more distorted and more distorted and the narrative of decline is a worldview that people will then look at the perennial tradition and long for uh, and have a strong nostalgia for a past time period and it's usually a time period honestly that never actually existed so it's creating a false or at least a very difficult, hard time period to pin down, and then evoking an, a strong nostalgia for that. Okay. Uh, the traditionalist school also has, is interested in recovering the er-religion, the original religion, the original way to understand metaphysics. Emphasi- emphasis here is on the spiritual isness of a people. So you might say, This particular group of people that have lived here are of this type of spiritual DNA. And that over there is of this type, and they're different. Uh, And we have to um, make sure that people stay in their lanes. Even as we honor the differences, um, we are gonna declare that it's a multipolar kind of uh, world where things are defined by the isness of a group spirituality. There's an emphasis of the freedom of a people, but not the freedom of individuals that make up a people. So there's an idea that the different isness of a culture and the people that make up the culture, the culture itself has the freedom to self-express. And it's usually, in terms of war, uh, express itself in terms of uh, trying to Better themselves against someone else, uh, but the individuals inside that group are not expected to have freedom. There is an emphasis in the cycles of time, so a lot of people in the traditionalist school of thought uh, would might might see that we're in the Kali Yuga at the moment. You know this this period of destruction, um, and it is imperative, therefore, to uh, accelerate, you know, to, to create even more chaos. Some people would advocate, I'm not saying everybody in the traditionalist school does this, but to advocate even stronger chaos because it's only through the phoenix burning up does the new phoenix arise, you see. Um, and it's this cycle of time that keeps repeating. There's an emphasis in purity, and it's understood as plurality is uniformity. And What I mean by that is, We can have lots of people, but they are going to be just alike in this group. And you guys can do your thing over there. And so they're going to be uh, emphasizing uniformity of singleness of belief system and of a leader. There's there's an inherent uh, inequality of different people. So not not only within the different cultures, but you do have uh, different that you know they would see that other groups may not possess the same divine gifts that we possess spiritual gifts and within each group you have a very strong emphasis on hierarchies so sometimes this can emerge as uh, fascism a a kind of fascist way to understand the perennial tradition and it's here it's understood that there is a bottom serves the top Um, and the top has It's a very top-down model, in that the bottom does not uh, is not allowed to have access to the fullness that the top would have. Um, Now, service, therefore, serving other people, is expected, but it's it's actually expected to be used to maintain and enforce the structure of each group, and structure is honored and lauded because it provides meaning and purpose and direction and promise of glory. You know, promise of the promised land. Uh, Structure is freeing because uh, it keeps us from not having to, um, it keeps us to know exactly what to say in this particular way, in this particular time, um, with this particular role that I have in this spiritual hierarchy. And to be honest, it does assuage The existential anxiety, uh, there's a contentment and even a joy that can come from that. Uh, Overall, the traditionalist school of the perennial philosophy would understand that God or the creator or the ground of being is a sovereign entity, and there is a distinct ontological difference between creator and creation. Okay? Uh, the, The two are very different, and never will they come together. So emergent holistic school <laughs> of perennial philosophy, instead of the narrative of, of decline, I call it the narrative of becoming. Wholeness is breaking into the present moment. It's now. It's not a past, but actually the wholeness itself, which is ever present in, in pure possibility and potentiality, is, is coming in, being invited in to break into this moment. Emphasis it emphasizes awakening to the depth of now through the isness of now for the purpose of a future coming together. So let me just say this. It's emphasizing that now there's this surface level. It's like what we, what we think is going on, the isness of now. And there's the depth of now. That's that wholeness wanting to break in. And it's all looking forward to a future which might be the next second or a hundred years or a thousand years of following the pattern that all things come together and create a new complexity. So it's a future coming together. The emergent holistic school emphasizes history as a slow march of the evolution of consciousness. So it's not necessarily cycles of time, but rather an expanding spiral of increasing complexity. You know, uh, the kindergartner is not expected, say, to to do calculus. Uh, one goes through time and marches and expands one's consciousness. There's an it emphasizes the congruence between metaphysical, physical and psychological. That what is true at the spiritual higher, quote, more expanded levels of consciousness um, it's got to be here found in the concreteness of this moment, the imminence here. And it's going to be true for the human, the emotional or psychological worlds and realms. It emphasizes the quality of every person, not necessarily the quality of every role. Go ahead.
0: Just on that, on the previous point, would you say that <clears throat> the, the, the phrase that we... Here fairly often as above, so below. Is that is that another way of as describing? within, so yes. without? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So a similar kind of thing.
1: Okay. That is that is true. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's true metaphysically above and below. It's true physically above and below. You get it. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> it emphasizes that every individual person has an inherent freedom to choose their manner of serving. It emphasizes praxis over ideas, service over beliefs. And this is an important critique here because a lot of, uh, the ancient presentations that I have read and, you know, tried to immerse myself into, um, often hold gnosis, that word gnosis or the Gnostics as evolving through special and esoteric knowledge. It's to know more, more, know the capital T truth. And it's almost a preference of truth as the primacy, the primacy of truth. And what I'm saying here is, sure, we can do the primacy of truth if truth is defined as love. If truth is defined as loving service or, or embodiment of these esoteric teachings for the betterment of all of us, the collective. Then we are talking about um, this emergent holistic school. Uh, Then we are talking about taking and reading whatever we are, bringing that, incarnating it here and now. It emphasizes plurality as unity. Before it was plurality as uniformity. So plurality as unity uh is interesting because i am defining and i'm borrowing this from my friend and mentor richard Rohr. i'm not sure if some of you might know of him or may not um p- unity is defined as diversity which is honored and maintained by love that my journey doesn't have to be your journey my way of understanding things doesn't have to be your way uh, my way of service doesn't have to be your way and in fact my um, my individual diverse, diverse expression of myself is honored and sacred, and so is yours. Now, um, <clears throat> emphasizes holarchies Instead of hierarchies, we're talking about holarchies of service. So you can imagine instead of a structure where there's a high up and then a flow chart down, imagine um, a pebble being dropped into a still water, and so you have an epicenter, and then you have waves of, uh consciousness evolving out and they all belong together in one kind of organism made up of of multiple body you know parts, members of one body, if you will. Um, and so emphasis is on serving the poor. And the poor is defined externally, say, um, with people who are at the lower levels of social economic uh, stratus, serving them, asking what are their questions in life. And the poor inside you and me. Because I tell you what, uh, you and I, well, maybe you're perfect, I don't know, but I'll tell you, I'll speak about myself. Um, The areas in me where even though I've been a counselor for 22 years, I still find myself reacting when I was like I was five with certain kinds of insecurities, you know, the impoverishment that I would feel of not being free from certain kinds of ways to. Uh, understand myself in the world. That's a kind of poverty that is not dealt with by stuffing it down or ignoring it, just like I wouldn't stuff down and put the poor over there, but rather it's about accepting it, looking at it, honoring it, and maybe using it to help me with my conscious mind, expand more. In other words, the areas of my own anxiety or insecurity actually become the teachers that I use to uh, grow in greater metanoia or love, heart, mind, yeah. Uh, Honors the dynamic tension between structure and freedom. We need structure because otherwise the water, the water needs the cup. Uh, otherwise, it just goes everywhere. Uh, but the water is not, the cup is not the water. You know, the cup might be the container, that's the structure, but we need the contents too. So that's freedom. We need both. And there's a dynamic tension that is not static. It's dynamic and it's subject to uh, dialogue and emergence in its own process. Uh, two more. Holds that conflicts the very conflicts that we might feel are impossible to get through are actually the epicenter, the place of gestation for a greater order of reconciliation. What I mean by that is if if you're ever in a rock and a hard place or things have gotten to where there's just a perpendicular heading on where there's no getting through this, I cannot maybe deal with this guy or this woman, or I, I, we all, my, my friend or my family member, we're always fighting, you know, there's some kind of Uh. uh, right there. How do we get through this? Um, The point is, is that the emergent holistic school of perennial philosophy will honor, some of you may have heard the law of three, (laughs) um, honors that within the seemingly impossibility of getting through something there's always a hidden third force there's a hidden thing that wants to be born and actually we have to learn to develop the skill to midwife that hidden reconciling force that brings the whole thing to a new gestalt a new higher order of being you see and that's that's how things evolve so conflict is actually the stepping stone and the tool to evolve into a greater wholeness. And lastly, um, and this this last piece could actually be a whole do- another talk, but I'll say this. God in the emergent holistic school, and this is law of one, this is all of the, the schools of the perennial philosophy, which I personally trust, doesn't mean I'm right. God is a relational process the relational process whereby the one desires to become the many the many are drawn to become one and the whole order or the order of wholeness complexifies by one gestalt (laughs) so what does that mean very simply you're gonna have uh let's say you have the big bang okay you've got eventually you've got these little two hydrogen ones going out there so the one desires to experience itself through manyness, boom then you've got let's say two little hydrogen atoms and you've got a uh, oxygen atom and they're individuated but they cannot cannot Deny the incredible instinct. They're drawn to unity because that's the very nature of uh, God to complexify. So they're drawn to become and unify that diversity being maintained by love. And when they come together, they become one. Well, now what do we have? We have manyness that is one. And now there's a new singularity that is also one. It's a water molecule. And we talk about water molecule as a single entity made up of three. So that is the, and the order of wholeness complexifies by one gestalt. Okay. There you go. So this is what I think God looks like. This is what I think you look like. This is what I think I look like. If the whole perennial philosophy had a a shape and a motion, there it is. It's a Taurus field. It's a Taurus field. Uh, that is um, flowing and expanding and contracting and ever learning and processing. Thank you very much. That's, that's my presentation. That 15 minutes was really uh, 45, but thank you for your patience. And I hope it was intelligible. I hope I didn't speak too quickly, but let, we can entertain any thoughts or comments or and I can respond.
0: Um, I'll wait to see if uh, hands go up or uh, people enter in the the uh, chat and we'll uh, go forward with the discussion. I have a number of questions that I've prepared so we can have the conversation but first of all, thanks Doug, because I think that was an excellent overview of a subject that lifetimes can be spent studying and getting to know more and more. And so the, the hope for this particular uh, episode of this program was to just provide some introduction uh, for those who may not be familiar with this at all, or to stimulate further conversation and desire to learn more and, and, and do the things you just described, to draw together and, and create new together, and and bring whole new gestalt. To me, one of the things that also makes studying this rewarding is having the experiences of seeing the the same things in the different forms of the wisdom. So I I have been exposed to one presentation for um, a little over two years, and so many of the things that you just presented, I could draw the parallels and, and come to the language that's used in that presentation, but it is the same principle. So for instance, when you were talking about um, the matter of conflict actually being a force that can generate something new, and that it's not something to, to reject or, or dismiss, but actually recognize that, that is a way of Creating something new, the presentation I'm studying talks about uh, that we can bring about um, harmony through conflict, and that and that there is a particular energy that can be um, invoked, frankly, to to help bring that about. And it's not pleasant. It doesn't mean that you don't have to go through the conflict to get to the harmony. So none of this is Um, I think part of what we see today too is in our kind of instant gratification society, there's all sorts of things now where there's kind of a add water and stir to get to enlightenment, you know, and I think, um, that isn't, that isn't necessarily the way it's going to happen for most. I think some people may have a kind of a flash and suddenly they're there, but for most, it's a very gradual kind of process, but these same things, or what we eventually all come to have no of frankly. And uh, it's another way of putting it is the the many paths up the mountain leading to the same summit. And and uh, so that's some, some first thoughts that I have, but I would love it if uh, anybody else has questions. And um, actually, Chris has just entered something in the chat, so let me read that. Um, there seems to be a masculine impulse to some of your ideas. I assume he's talking to you. Doug. Okay, as a male, my feminine side is not comfortable with your idea of reconciliation. must I reconcile with you, or simply choose not to do and move on to a different, independent place in my present?
2: Um,
1: I may not have explained it very well, uh, because the law of three is, is um not necessarily masculine and feminine in the way that I'm think I'm understanding the comment. Uh the law of three or reconciling is always going to be the process whereby the masculine and feminine form a new collective or a new kind of um, work, a synthesis that honors the masculine and the feminine together without getting rid of them. And uh, you have a new kind of balance between them. So for example, um, one might say that we in our Western world, we have had an overwrought, over-excited masculine energy gone amok. Uh, some, some would say that, I, w- I would agree, and it's not been a great expression of masculinity. Now, is the answer to um, fill the to have the feminine energy rise and then, let's say defeat the masculine energy um, because we have so many imbalances right now caused by masculine energy. Well, if the feminine energy or the divine feminine are are people who see themselves as um, uh, warriors or stewards of feminine energy were to do that, then we still have the same paradigm. It's just now it's shifted. Instead, um, what we're finding is the greatest way is to find this conundrum that we have right now and learn a new way to incorporate um, divine masculinity with divine femininity. And we do that on the inner life, the inner world. That's what Jung talked about. And we do that so that we are then able to uh, embody the principles of good forward thinking, good movement thinking, as well as uh, embody the principles of nurturing and collecting and honoring that which is. So that's the masculine and the feminine together. Um, so I would say that either I didn't explain it well or I'm not explaining it now, uh, or you didn't understand me, or that we're speaking in totally two different paradigms that not they are sharing different languages.
0: Um, so I'm going to let Chris either decide to come on or, or add to that in the Chat also had a request. If you can unshare, Doug. Sure. And we'll just Sorry.
1: Yep. 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 Perfect.
0: Stop sharing. And there's there's a few other things that, as you know, I'll keep an eye on um, if other people do run into questions. But kind of back to the idea of trying to just provide a a, a first class of the semester orientation to what it is that we're kind of talking about. Um, And you may have, yes, you certainly touched on this a little bit, but
2: there's overlap between
0: the wisdom and the major religions in the world, even the minor religions Mm -hmm. in the world. But can you speak to that a little bit as to kind of what the how this may be similar and different from uh, what we think of as the religious institutions.
1: Okay, again, it's my, my um, opinion which is not scholarly and it's not expert, so please take it with a grain of salt. The way I understand religions is I think it's our particular human attempt to understand ways to have unitive consciousness in other words if we're all one and that is the that is the truth we i am that or you are that if that is the the total truth capital t truth um, it is not enough just to say that we have to learn how to have that as a gnosis and this takes many lifetime you know uh, and in a lifetime it takes a lot of work too to have that as an actual gnosis, and then to embody that and to create opportunities for others to have that too. Now, religions then are attempts at creating structures. Usually, they're historically, historical and cultural uh, in nature. They're attempts to create and codify structures that would help people do just that, to realize um, the the relational nature between that which we worship, say, or that which we hold as transcendent, and ourselves. Another way to look at it, I think, is religion can be the fingers pointing at the moon. So we have different different religions are pointing at the moon, and that spirituality is the experience of the moon itself. Okay. So religions are pointing at the moon and spirituality is the, is the experience of the moon itself. And one of the big problems about religions and, and the word religion really just means reattach, re ligare in Latin, ligare, ligament, attach, and re means again. So religions are trying to create uh, structures that help us transcend the suffering of our life to find meaning there and then to be able to use that to connect uh, and go enjoy the moon. But they are not to be um, mistaken for the moon itself. And many people who are in the individual religions would say, my religion is the moon and too bad for you. So we have churchianity instead of Christianity, for example. (laughs) Uh, But Spirituality is actually the enjoyment of the moon itself.
2: Okay. I, that's as
0: good an explanation as I think I could have hoped for.
2: Could you repeat that?
0: that? I'm sorry. Just that that concept that um, everything is an expression of this one source, basically.
1: Everything, I mean, the way I like to think of it, and I don't know if this is the best way, but... Let's say white light, pure, unadulterated white light, would like to experience itself because it's awakened to the fact that it exists. Okay, But white light cannot experience itself. There is no, no differentiation, no hue, no subtlety, no nuance. It's pure, unadulterated uh, uniformity, if you will. And there's no experience in that. So white light or the pure infinity has to actually come up with a very novel idea. I mean, against the backdrop of, of infinity, it's it's incredible that <laughs> the 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 it's incredible the imagination of the mind of the, of reality could conceive of this one idea and that is finity or finitude. I mean, limitedness. I mean, that's that's incredible leap of consciousness. Now we can imagine this one idea of finitude as being a prism. We have white light, prism, finitude, and the white light then self-donates, or in the, in the Christian, it's often called kenosis, self-emptying or pouring of the self into this one idea, finitude. Now, what emerges from this prism are seven different e- expressions of the one white light. The ontology, the beingness, is divine. There's no difference between the red, the yellow, any of these colors, and the white light. The ontology is the same, but the expression is different. Now you have the capacity to relate, to distinguish, and to enjoy infinite variety. And here's the cool thing is that the one white light not only experiences itself, through all the different myriad of colors and the combinations therein. But each one of these combinations and colors are also sentient wholenesses individuated from the white light and yet still contained in the nature of light. Still one unified uh, relational pattern, which we call God. But we have a subtle difference now. We have Source and we we have Creator and Created. Uh, but they're not different ontologically, and they actually inform each other for a greater, constant, greater complexification. Everything moves to greater wholeness. Yeah. That was a very heady uh, response. Sorry about that. It, but it is something no, it's, I try to think about.
0: It's awesome. And I think it was a great um, kind of intro analogy to use to, to really... Paint a very clear picture, I think. I hope hope our our audiences um, share this, that to kind of get to see how a oneness can be expressed in different ways and at the same time retain the fact that it is of that oneness, but in those expressions has now also created different forms, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris, added a clarification and he's not in a place that he's able to come on camera. So I'll read his clarification. It gets back to this point, I believe, about um, conflict. And he said, are we required to reconcile or can we choose not to?
1: Well, to not reconcile is a type of reconciliation, is it not? In other words, if, if I'm walking away from a problem that is not worth not worth it. It's not life-giving for me. It's not life-giving for you. Uh, then I am choosing to do something, which is to, to, I mean, if it's in a healthy way, it's to set boundaries by not participating in some level of toxicity. But that is a reconciliation that um, creates, if it's done healthily in me, and it's not some sort of passive-aggressive, you know, FU, But if it's done in in an appropriate, healthy way, then I actually experience a type of gestalt, don't I? Because maybe I was codependent. Maybe I didn't know even how to separate myself from somebody. And I got to a point where I learned the value of my own dignity and free will and uh, freedom to be dignified. So therefore, I'm going to not resolve this conflict because it's actually uh, would entrap me and keep me entrapped in the same level of consciousness. My own sense of growth is reached a point where I'm honoring and risking to live without that person. So then I move in a different direction and I'm thus whole, more whole. Especially if I can see the other person not with um, the lens of you suck, uh, you know, I'm going to scapegoat you, but rather... I I love you, but I can't, I love myself and I can't allow myself to um, be constrained energetically anymore. So I love you. I wish you well being. I'm going to go do my thing. And that is a gestalt. Right. And uh, Chris also gave us a a thumbs up. Um, So he appreciates the
2: answer and thanked you for taking the question. Mm -hmm. You know, Catholicism has, (laughs) has, sort of gone further with with that but so my question is at the societal level or the the larger level yes the catholic church has gone through its own evolution revolution with with vatican ii but i don't see it as moving in the kind of direction that you've been talking about and so i'm one one more thing and then i'll shut up do you, do you see any sort of um not necessarily providential kind of energy, but um, is it just randomness and 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 we struggle and have our warfares and misunderstandings with one another, or is there some what some people call divine plan is is what we're going through a manifestation of something that's going to end up being good for us, or or could could things go in any direction? And it's it's as random as cha- and chaotic as it's sometimes seen. You know, it's a very roundly sort of question, I, I suppose. But um, I'd, I'd like to see what you can do with it. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you for such a um, a very deep reflection and questions. Uh, rather than spent way too much time trying to unpack all those good things. Let me let me see if I can offer a, just a brief reflection. Um, now, these are all based on my own opinions, and I'm not saying I got it right, but this is how I've made sense of it. Uh, I was fired at the University of Dallas. I was the director of counseling department, um, and I had a student who um, I had given one or two of my uh, art- articles online, which are very esoteric. And uh, she liked him at first, but when she started failing, she needed a scapegoat. So she turned me into the boss. And then um, the next day, I was hauled in front of uh, four of the leading people there, including the priest and whatnot, and was basically accused of, um, you know, certainly being a heretic, but more of a a cult leader of the law of one, um, and that I was using counseling and whatnot. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was biblical, man. And I tell you what, um, was it painful? Yeah. Was it that I feel shame? Yeah. But the way I conceptualized it and still do is I knew that this was an initiation for me to, uh, hold them. And I was modeling myself from Christ in front of pa- Pontius Pilate, you know, uh, who are you? And, and these things have been thrown against you. What do you say for yourself? And I, I just, I couldn't defend myself because he had all the power. And, I, and moreover, if I tried to explain myself, there would be no way in which I knew he could see uh, validity in how I understood the, cath- the Catholic faith. And so, um, you know, I was fired. And if I were him, I would fire me too, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, now, because I could see why he'd be so scared. But how I understand it is I don't see a difference. Because I, I think Catholic, Catholicism is, is actually meaning universal. I understand the way my faith is, is to see that, the best parts of the Catholic church. And I would argue for the the Christian uh, lens is exactly what I tried to say today. And that is there is a transcendent reality that transcendent reality incarnates period. And that transcendent reality dwells within every little manifestation incarnate incarnated manifestation. So the way I understand the Trinity, for example, is, um, God is that which transcends, that which incarnates, and that which dwells within. There's the triune mystery that is the law of one, and it's the perennial philosophy. And within Catholicism, say, there is a particular um, emphasis on what's called the Eucharist. The Eucharist, understood sacramentally, is nothing less and nothing more, in my opinion, than a bodily participation of the mystery of how things must die in order to rise. In, in other words, to, to partake in the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, by the way, in Greek, Eucharist, to partake in the Eucharist, for me, is to, to physically embody body digest, take within my personal body, the mystery, capital M, of the entire rhythm of how God becomes. Because from this universe, to a star, to a bug, (laughs) to you and me, to every other level below, there's always a dying, a living, a dying, and arising that there, that that is that is it there's nothing else outside of that and so when i partake in eucharist i am partaking in that exact mystery okay and the only thing you can say to such grand notions to actually be invited in that is to say thank you and that is what eucharist means again gratefulness so the way i would wrap that up is to say when you and your life have gone through a difficult time, let's just, I'm just making this up. But Let's say you've gone through a very hard time. And then after a period of time, you emerge on the other side of that. If you're like me and you're like other people, you can say, my God, I never would have chosen to go through that. Uh, that was, that sucked, man. Don't ever sign me up for that shit again. But, I can stand here on this side of the cross, okay, so this side of the crucifixion of my own life and say, but I am so dang grateful that I went through it because I would not be who I am with my ability to love you and love myself and love this seemingly broken reality. I couldn't do it unless I had gone through my own death and crucifixion. And that is the resurrection. And that, the only thing you can say is thank you that's what Eucharist means, and that is Holy Communion. So that is how I can stay Catholic. I am Catholic, even though very few Catholics would, would, would look at what I believe, you know, new Age alien perennial philosophy <laughs> stuff, and they would see me as a heretic. But that's okay, because I'm okay for them having a view like this, even if my view is a little bit bigger. I'm okay with that. I, don't, I can include them and transcend but I don't have to transcend them and exclude. So that, that's sort of how I understand that. Uh, and that's wrapping up a lot of what you said and bringing it to some kind of way that maybe maybe tried to answer
2: that. Um, if, if I could, um, I'd, I'd just like to, to follow up, maybe sort of uh, directing your attention back to my actual question, which has to do with the societal manifestation of the uh tensions that exist um and and whether you see uh, how you yes
1: okay thank you
2: Uh, unfold i
1: i i tried to answer that implicitly but let me be explicit okay um now this is my belief system and it's in the law of one so i'm I'm actually declaring that what i'm about to say is a belief system that is fun it's founded inside um esoteric material which i trust I don't need to say it's the full truth, but I can trust it. And what, I, what, what is presented there is that humanity itself exists within a certain bandwidth of consciousness uh, that is called third density or the third chakra of God. All right, you and I have seven chakras. That's a perennial philosophy, you know, these seven energy centers of ways to understand our reality. And that in the macro level, the, the being that transcends us has seven chakras, too. Of course, it would have to be that way. And we are in the third chakra of God. And we are actually, as a humanity, a collective, moving into the fourth chakra. But here's the problem. The only way that the earth becomes fourth density, or fourth density and humanity itself uh, em- Transform and and become the butterfly of fourth density. We're the the caterpillar now. Do we come to the butterfly? The only way that happens is if we can deal with our collective bellicosity. That means this energetic is warlike, energetic that we operate on from the individual to the collective. And what is going to happen is in the fourth density experience, humanity will not use words unless necessary. There will be a natural, easy way to just use mental telepathy. We'll be able to read each other's energies so that I will, through empathy and intuition, experience you <laughs> and you will experience me. There will be total transpar- transparency between us in the world. And the uh, the actual task of the fourth density bandwidth of consciousness is to merge into what's called a unified collective organism or what Ra calls the social memory complex. So it's a unified heart-mind con- collective of one thing. You know, uh, in other words, the many become one and are increased by this new gestalt. That one thing is called an ecclesia. What is an ecclesia? It's Greek for church. So, what I'm trying to say to you is that the third density seed form thought structure of what church is is actually going to come to its full consummation in plenum in the fourth density experience. But in order for us to get there, in order for us to get to that place, we have to go through a lot more of the chaos. Because what this chaos is, is a, let's say, a divine uh, law, which is called the law of responsibility. It's connected with karma. And we are being forced, literally forced to look in the mirror and to say, I will not project anymore. I will not hold an other other people and hold them in contempt. I will not because every time I do that, I'm actually hurting myself. And when that can become our lived experience, and we forgive, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, we break into living in the heart chakra. And that is congruent with the fourth density, the fourth chakra of God. That is what we're moving to. So all of what's going on right now is on the macro scale in my humble opinion, equivalent to the individual person coming to my office, uh, counseling office saying, I am so angry. I can't stand it anymore. And I'm constantly anxious and my, my wife sucks and, you know, all, all these problems. And then we do some exploration and we find out based on, I'm just going to make this up, based on him, the man, you know, maybe he's had some really hard experiences growing up, wasn't modeled very well. And he's projected his pain and hurt onto other people all his life. So what he holds as other people and demonizing other people is really his inability to uh, recognize and process his own pain. And when he can do that, he can then maybe set boundaries, but not demonize other people. That on an individual level is what we have to do on the macro level. And the only way we're going to do that is to have the pus of this infection of bellicosity come to the surface so that it can be acknowledged and cleaned. And then when we're vibrating at a certain congruency for the lessons necessary in fourth density, then we will move as a collective one body into the fourth density of,
2: sh- of God. Uh, thanks, Doug. Thank you
0: so I, I I would i I don't know if anyone else wants to ask a question. I do think we kind of want to wrap up. but one thing, if you can just kind of give your thoughts to kind of finish this off because one one thing that I believe and, I, and I'm certainly not alone in this is one thing that has beginning to mark more and more this time is the introduction of um, and, and greater availability of the quantum sciences and how those integrate with this. And I don't know if you're familiar enough with that to, to comment, but it's something that I'm finding increasingly fascinating and in how we are at a time when some things that used to just we'd have to rely on is other words. Now we've got other things to kind of help label and frame through the, the quantum sciences. wonder if you have thoughts on that.
1: Um, <clears throat> I think that uh, w- we do best when science and spirituality and psychology and all of this emerge again into a new complexity and then actually affirm and describe the perennial tradition, as I'm calling it, emergent holism, holism. Describe it from their own perspective, and that we respect the diversity in this complexity, but they're all, uh, pronouncing with one voice a univocity of wholeness. And that's what, that's why, that's why it's wonderful to live right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amongst other reasons, but you know. Right. But that is part of the best of times.
1: So let me just, one one last thing before we go. Thank you so much yeah, for I, all of you, for your yeah. the ones that hung out here. You're just going to bypass purgatory and go straight to heaven. No, I'm just kidding. That's, you know, traditional. Just, <laughs> just playing. Um, I want to thank you for your attention and your uh, energy, because I couldn't say these things without the energy that I'm receiving from you, because um, there's no distance between us. And I'd like to say that we're opening up a, What's we, we're calling it the Building Forth Center. In fact, if you can, you can go online, we just started it today. Um, had, one of our members has worked on it for about a month and it's called Building forth, buildingforthcenter.com. And it's a community um, that we started and it's a center and we're, we're gearing towards, uh, very similar to what you guys are doing, and, but our, our particular mission is to provide the bridge between the conventional and the cosmic. What you know, we need bridge builders um, that can not throw any babies out with bathwaters. You know, we're not in that business. We're in the business of honoring the babies, clean the bathwater, and then walking with. And uh so you're welcome to check out that building fourth F-O-U-R-T-H, which is fourth density and the fourth chakra. So I know we get a little clever there. Um, and we have a community meeting every Tuesday night. So if you're interested, you know, you can reach me. Um, I'm at Doug at cosmicchrist.net. I'm sure you can put that in there. So there's two sites. Then there's the cosmicchrist.net is my personal blog. And then there's the building fourth center, which we're going to continue to expand as services come about. Yeah. So thank you Fantastic. for that. Fantastic.